There are certain stories that you hear from time to time that leave an image in your mind that you begin to carry with you, begins to shape you in some way into the person that you're going to become. One of these stories I heard whenever I was just a college student on a typical Sunday morning at church, the pastor that day told of his relationship growing up with his grandpa. He said that his grandfather was quite the handyman. In the backyard of his house, he had this shed, and in the shed, there was every tool you could possibly imagine. Every birthday, every Christmas, when they wondered what to buy grandpa, they would buy him a new tool. It's what he loved. It's what he loved to do. My pastor, as a little boy, would go out and he would watch his grandpa work on whatever the most recent project was. He would observe as he would put together the birdhouse or fix the fence. One day he noticed that with this shed full of tools, his grandpa used this same old hammer again and again and again. One day his curiosity got the best of him and the little boy asked his grandpa, he said, Grandpa, why in this shed full of tools do you use this same old hammer? He said, I gave you a new hammer just last year. Why don't you ever use that one? Did you lose it? Do you know where it is? Grandpa looked at the little boy, and he just simply said, Son, it's the handy tool that gets used. It's just a simple statement, a really obvious sort of truth, but it left this image in my mind that I began to carry with me through college and then on the mission field and then through these very halls and now in the halls of First Baptist Waco. It's the handy tool that gets used. That hammer was always right there where the grandpa had left it last, always reliable to see a project through. It was never demanding the spotlight, never trying to be what it wasn't. It was just a hammer, and that was okay. Its only purpose in life was to be used, and for little personal glory or reward at that. No one ever looks at a beautiful home and looks at the beams and says, wow, that must have been some hammer. It just doesn't happen, and that's okay, because the hammer is part of something that is so much bigger than itself. And on our best days, I believe that we are too. On my very best days, I remember that grandpa in that shed full of tools and that old faithful hammer that sat by his side that got to play a part in more than its fair share of projects and repairs. And I find myself saying, God, would you use me too? Wherever you lead, I will go. Whatever you ask, I will do. I only want to be used by you. Truth be told, there are lots of days in between these very best days. <laughs> days that I look and sound a whole lot more like the folks that we find in John chapter 6, if I'm just really, really honest. In this chapter, Jesus has already fed the 5,000. His disciples have headed out on the lake. They've gone across the sea, and Jesus tells them to go ahead. He'll catch up later. When he decides it's time, he, he finds them by walking on water to meet them where they are. The crowds who were fed wake up the next morning, and they're looking for Jesus. They notice that he didn't go with them, so they go out to find him. And the story picks up there in verse 25. 
When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. This massive crowd of people, they watched as Jesus took just a few pieces of bread and just a couple of fish, and somehow he fed them all until they were completely full. But now it's morning, and lo and behold, as life would have it, they're hungry again. And so they go off to find this Jesus. Maybe, maybe he'll feed them breakfast, too. When they find him, he cuts right past the small talk, ignores their question of, now, how exactly did you get here? And he gets right to the heart of their motivation. He says, let's be real. You've come all this way to find me because I left you yesterday with bellies that were full. And you're looking to see what else I can do for you. Being used. We all know what it feels like to be used. Seminary students who drive pickup trucks know the feeling well. Each August, that time of year when people are coming and going, moving into their fourth place in three years, students who just happen to be way too broke to call a moving company but have this great idea they might coax some friends into helping them for a box of pizza, they get word of, of who might have a truck in the seminary community. No one feels all that comfortable asking just an acquaintance to help them move their bulky couch and entertainment center and their boxes full of books. So they begin to make friends. (laughs) They invite this strong pickup truck owner to the next game night with their buddies. Make attempt to talk to the person, get to know a bit about their life. May even Facebook friend them, may like a few Facebook statuses, may retweet a few tweets. When it feels the relationship's just a bit more substantial, they get the courage up to to ask this new best friend, so hey, when you came to game night last week, I just happened to see that you drive a truck. And I just happened to be moving at the end of the month. Will you, my, my new best friend, will you help me out? I'll even buy you some pizza. <laughs> Baylor season ticket holders know what it's like to be used. Whenever the Baylor football team is playing one final game versus UT, and it could mean the Big 12 Conference Championship, friends come out of the woodworks to see how you're doing, where you've been. Are you going to the game? (laughs) Pastors in Waco know what it's like to be used. Once a year, there's that month when those green forms come out. You know the green forms. The green forms that if they're signed just right mean that you are entitled to a very, very nice scholarship from some very, very nice Baptist people. And all it has to say is that you attend a Baptist church somewhere in town while you're studying at seminary. That's a great month for pastors in Waco. They get lots of free lunches. Easy to find children and youth volunteers. The choir may even be a little bit bigger in those weeks. But we all know the truth doesn't take long after that brand new apartment is settled, after football season has come and gone, after the forms are signed and submitted for life to go back to usual. The relationships that were in place before the favor are usually the relationships that are in place after the favor. (laughs) We all know what it's like to be used 
And none of us are really out seeking relationships like that. Before we begin to just think through our lives and label those people that we might say, well, now that's a user, (laughs) and commit to just keeping a healthy distance, I wonder if this morning you might consider with me for just a moment if we are also guilty of sometimes standing in the place of those who use. Because as I spent this week peeking over the shoulders of this hungry crowd that we find in John 6, and I hear Jesus say to them, very truly, you've come to find me because you want the perks of being near me without putting in the hard work of actually knowing me. I begin to see that spotlight shining on me. (laughs) Because if I'm honest... In a typical week of full-time ministry, the week fills up really, really fast with early mornings and with late evenings. If I'm not careful, then I find myself seeking Christ only when I need to prepare a lesson in moments of crisis, when I answer the office phone and the person on the other end is spilling their guts and it's something I have no idea how to respond to, and I'm saying, oh God, give me wisdom Or before I go up to preach and all of a sudden I realize, oh my goodness, I don't want to do this on my own. Jesus, come and help me. And just like that, after a week of going at it on my own, after a week of self-sufficiency in every possible way, I also find myself seeking Jesus so that he can bail me out. So that he might make me sound wise. So he might help me speak a word that they'll really like. (laughs) A user just like the rest. It's what I often become. And as one who is just barely out of seminary, I feel that it's safe to say that I can assure you that if you find yourself in this place of learning as someone who is too busy to see Christ out of pure devotion and out of pure love here and now in this season of life, then you're probably going to be too busy to seek him out of pure love and devotion in the season to come. If you are too tired to draw near to Christ now, if you are too stressed to just sit in his presence and affirm your love for him and tell him again and again that you are his, if you are too distracted to stop in the middle of your day sometimes and just give thanks, then I guarantee you from a year and a half, a whole year and a half of experience, that you will be too busy and too tired, and too stressed, and too distracted to love him in the season to come. Those who use Christ, they seek him only when they need a favor from him. Those who are used by him seek him just because they love him. And when you love someone, you just simply want to be where they are. My friends, may we draw near to Christ today because we love him. Simply because we love him. The dialogue shifts from why do you seek me to why do you want to do the works that I do with me? Then they said to him, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus, what must we do to do the kinds of things that you do? How can we also cause the bread to multiply and heal the sick? How can we also walk on water? How can we wow the crowds 
and create a following. And Jesus' response, the one that is, is read between the lines for those who might have ears to hear, is why. Why do you want to do the things that I do? For whose benefit? For what end? Because the same people who, who came looking for him to see if Jesus might still fill their bellies, well, surely then they only want to work with him to possibly feed their egos. And so rather than just give them some secret recipe for how to make bread multiply or how to make yourself a little bit more buoyant, <laughs> Jesus simply says, you will do the work of God when you believe in me. And to believe in me is to know that you are nothing without me and you have nothing to offer apart from me. Belief is commitment to love like I love and to live like I live. Now again, this seems obvious enough for a room full of ministers. But if I'm being honest with you, in these first few years of ministry... I find that the why of why do I long to do the works of God is not always so pure in my own life. <laughs> On Wednesday nights, I tend to pick up a carload of youth, and I tend to take the same carload of youth home. Most of them come from really difficult homes, homes they're not eager to get back to. <laughs> Whenever I pull up to their house, I've already put in a long day, and I am ready for them to go home. <laughs> Many, many Wednesday nights, they will sit in my car and begin to just think of things to talk about. They're stalling. They'll throw God in here and there to just keep me interested. But really, they're just buying time. Some nights, once they finally, finally go inside, I look at the clock and I think, my goodness, that was a 12, 13-hour day. I want some credit. <laughs> what should I do? Maybe I'll text my pastor and say, I just had a great talk with these kids. Then he'll see the text, notice the time and be amazed at my dedication. Maybe I'll just make it a point to look really, really tired on Thursday morning, so someone might ask, were you up late last night? Oh, yeah, let me tell you why. Why do you want to do the works that I do? Jamie, are you seeking to use or to be used? Because quite often the spotlight's on you. When there are opportunities to preach and to teach, and I find myself more concerned about whether or not I did a good job and made an impression, more about that than whether or not the word of God was clearly heard through me. Or when I visit the hospital only to find that church member is sound asleep, and I'm getting no credit for this visit, and I leave frustrated rather than rejoicing that they're getting the rest that they need when I work behind the scenes and don't get a shout-out at deacon's meeting, when I see the title of senior pastor as a sign that I would have finally arrived and I overlook the countless people that I'm blessed to love and serve right here and right now as an associate, when I intentionally walk past the people in the church that I know are needy but have very little influence, and instead greet that member who I know has the power to spread a good word about me. When I use my position to great, gain me a great following in the blogging world, or in my own little corner of this world, then I find that the kind of work that I most want to do with God is the kind of work that will also make me into a little God of sorts among my people. 
Why do you want to do the works that I do? To use or to be used? Who is standing in the spotlight? You will be about the work of God, Jesus says, when you believe in me, when you surrender to me as the one sent from God to offer life. When you choose the way of this one who was worthy of the spotlight at every turn, but again and again chose the path of humility and sacrifice and service. When you commit to what I'm committed to, then you will be in a place to be used. And more and more, I am learning just how true this is. Looking, past, looking back over the past three years at First Baptist, the moments that I have felt the very most alive in the work of God were the moments that I watched as Christ was made great all around me. I think of baptisms. I think of this sacred moment of embracing a dear friend as her husband took his last breath and at his bedside saying, to be dead in the body is to be alive with Christ. I think of the phone calls from friends asking for prayers in times of celebrations and in times of crisis. People giving me the honor of inviting God into their most holy moments. I think of baby dedications. I think of funerals. I think of weddings, the things of love and of life and commitment. I think of the lost who have chosen to follow of the broken who are finding hope, of the moments of worship that sprung up unplanned and unrehearsed, of youth who are feeling their very first nudges of calling, and every one of these moments when I think about them were made possible only by Christ alone. I was there, but I was standing on the sideline, jumping up and down, pointing and saying, do y'all see that? He's doing it again. And for some reason, I'm surprised every single time that he's doing it again. When I hear the people in the church retell these very same stories, God is always the main character they seem to remember too. And I think that that must be a very, very good thing. Jesus, we want to do the works that you do. Why? Those who use him see his works as a way to be on par with him. Those used by him do his works so they may point others to him. Why do you want to do the things he does? For whose sake? For what end? May it be for Jesus. May it always only be for Jesus. Then comes one final request. The people ask Jesus for a sign to show that he's really a prophet from God. When Moses was around, they say, God used manna to show us that he was the real deal. So Jesus, what's your sign going to be? Never mind that he had just divided loaves and fish to feed 5,000. They want another sign. (laughs) Jesus assures them that Moses had nothing to do with the manna. He says that was all God. God's the only one who gives the bread from heaven that gives life to this world. And Jesus says, I am this bread of life. When all else fades away, Jesus says, I will be what remains. That Moses you talk about, he has come and gone. So has Elijah, so has Isaiah. So will Peter, James, and John. And so will we. But the bread of life, he's not going anywhere. He will not be shaken. The bread of life, he is what our world is starving for. 
He's what our people flock to church on Sunday mornings to encounter, not us. It's him. Let us not forget for even a second that he is the one. He is the bread of life. Friends, I ask us this morning, whose name are we proclaiming? As we walk through the halls of our church, who do we hope to hear the people whispering of? Months or years down the road, who do we hope they will still be speaking of? If all of our ministry, if it could be like, like Moses' manna, if in regards to our service, if the Spirit might say one day, no, no, that wasn't him. No, she didn't do that. That was all God. That was me. Wouldn't we consider that a win? Could you imagine anything better? My pastor, Matt, often gives this quote from the pulpit of Count Zinzendorf, and it just has stuck with me. He said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Sounds like the heartbeat of the used, if you ask me. I'm willing to bet this morning that no one in this place has heard of the name B.H. Kendrick, and that's because he's my grandpa, so you probably shouldn't know him. I began with the story of a grandpa seems appropriate to finish just the same. My grandpa has served Texas Baptist churches his whole life. He's 93 now, so 70-plus years of ministry. My grandpa loves the church. Every church he's ever served has been small. You probably haven't heard of a single one, but that doesn't really matter. Until just a few years ago, he was still able to preach every time he was asked, and he loved to preach. It was always a great honor. My grandpa didn't make hardly anything pastoring back in his days. Always lived in the parsonage. Most meals were given by church people. They were dirt poor. <laughs> lived in a trailer most of his retired life with my grandma. He's never traveled much apart from the parts of the world he saw during his World War II duties. <laughs> Nothing extravagant about his life at all, really. My grandpa, I don't think, has ever made a newspaper article except for maybe the obituaries where it says who was officiating a funeral service. He's watched most all of his peers and his, and his friends and much of his family pass on. Since to happen when you live to be in your 90s. Few people today know of the preacher my grandpa once was. Few people know of the evangelist that he used to be. He's already decided that when he dies, he just wants a very small funeral, just a graveside service. He said, family only will be enough. If he had passed just a decade sooner, it wouldn't have been like that. His funeral would have been completely packed out. But he doesn't seem too concerned about that either. I called my grandpa one Saturday just a couple months back just to check in. I said, Papa, what are you up to today? And he said, oh, I'm just sitting here um, working on a sermon. I said, really? I hadn't thought he had preached in two years. He can barely walk. I said, oh, are you preaching tomorrow? He said, oh, oh no, not yet. <laughs> he said, I just thought I should be ready in case someone called. <laughs> Ninety-three years old. 
still sitting in that little bedroom of his assistant living apartment, the word of God in his, in his lap wide open, his piece of paper and pen ready to write, preparing a word of God for the people of God. My grandpa was ready to be used. He had already spent the morning in prayer and devotion just like he had every morning before because he seeks Jesus, because he loves him. His arthritic hand scribbling down the makings of a sermon. He does the works of God because he longs for people to see God. And just as his own name is fading away more and more with each and every day, he keeps on proclaiming this name of God because it's never been about him in the first place. My grandpa is one who has found life in God. He has found a reason to live that is so much bigger than himself. And at 93 years old, he is still ready to be used. (laughs) The handy tool, you could say. Each time I think he's preached his last sermon, shared the gospel one last time, done his final deed for God's kingdom, I am amazed to see a God who uses him one more time. Friends, may it be so of us. May we be the people who seek him because we love him. The people who point to him because others just have to know about him. The kind of people who proclaim his name because it's only ever going to be about him. May we be the ones who are used. May it be so. Amen.